You're listening to Draft Chaff. Coming up this week, once you hit the fifth land, um, then it could really flip into anything. You flip into like a six, seven or something. Notably, I believe there is a case vector uh, within the draft environment and, and some five color enablers that sort of build towards a case deck. Next up, we have yet another blue-green mechanic. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 189. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Do you know uh, that joke about 189? Nope. Why, why, was, um, why was nine afraid of one? Nope. Because <laughs> one eight, one eight nine. Wait, then. I, I mean, I dead, guess technically right? it. Anyway, hmm. um, are you afraid after you've been eaten? I, I don't know. These are the questions that I guess we should get some detectives to to look into. <laughs> one eight. Uh, okay, uh, send it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Speaking of detectives, today is our format breakdown for Markov Manor or murders uh, at Markov Manor, as it were. Murders where? <laughs> Markov Manor? Karlov Manor. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Too many M's in the acronym. This is the thing. Literally everyone has been doing this because murders at Markov Manor. Markov, the famous vampire murder. It It makes so much sense. And it's honestly... The way the vibe of this set is, it doesn't even necessarily feel like it's taking place on Ravnica. I've actually seen some people saying that it almost feels more like Nuka Penna. I guess someone started the Trilby hat store on, on the yeah. some district in Ravnica and it just blew up and everyone went nuts for it. So we're doing this on Ravnica now. And I, honestly, it's a pretty sick set. I like what I've seen so far. Well, let's get into it. But before we do, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in the Discord, do check that out. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG. Come say hi. We love to see new folks popping in there and getting involved. So you can post things like your trophy decks, discuss different picks, chat about really whatever you want. We've got a random channel and a handful of others for various formats and such, even outside of Limited. And we've got our fantastic bounty board channels where you can submit proof of reaching certain achievements in the game none of which are win based by the way we're we're draft chaff here we don't really care about our wins as much as we care about having fun so lots of wacky different things to be doing over there if you haven't checked that out we have our winners for the first bounty board ever which was lost caverns of ixalan and first place goes to calcifer awesome job calcifer second place to jake brown and third place to spurlo so all three of them will be receiving packs in the mail from us so thank you so much for part- for participating if you'd like a chance to win your very own packs well i was about to say draft boosters but now we're on to play boosters so if yeah. you want to win some play boosters jump in the discord check out the bounty board for murders at karlov manor <laughs> yep <laughs> and um they should be live as pre-release starts so check that out and we look forward to seeing what you guys can cook up I know for a fact some people at pre-release are going to try to use that, what is it, the 1-5 hexproof that turns into a 10-10 flying hexproof mm-hmm. vigilance. Uh, don't worry, there is a bounty for winning with that card. And look, it's super sweet. You're going to want to do it anyway. You may as well get some free packs in the mail for, <laughs> for pulling it off. Yeah, so if you'd like to check that out, the link to our Discord is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And, well, how do we keep sending packs to people? 
Patreon. Patreon is the best place to go to support the show directly. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash draft chat pod. Huge, huge thanks to each and every one of our patrons who continue to support us every single week. We are beyond grateful for all of you. And look, I've got a, a stack here of envelopes, Ben, these like bubble mailers Ooh. with um, a handful of pins and some, some draft chat hero stickers getting ready to go out to our patrons. So yeah, if you want perks like access to our show notes, our pre-show recordings, a private channel for draft discussions, even drafting our cube with us, and various things like personal uh, videos from Ben and I or our Draft Draft Hero stickers, which are totally custom, and we'll send out with every new set, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chat pod and get involved there. I'm already looking forward to what our sticker is going to be for this set. I have a feeling it's going to be something silly detective so uh that, that that should be a fun one it's kind is pretty cute but maybe we can one up it i don't know man i think there may be a homicidal girl of some kind who is <laughs> itching to have her face on a sticker true true we'll see well we're gonna skip our cracker draft type thing this week because we have a ton of stuff to get through and not very much time to do it this week so let's just get into it this is our format breakdown for Murders at Karlov Manor. Let's just jump right into the mechanics. Uh, so Disguise is the first one. I think it's always good to read the rules text on some of these. Disguise says you may cast this card face down for three generic mana as a 2-2 creature with Ward 2. Turn it face up at any time for its Disguise cost. So this creature, while it's face down, it's sort of like a morph. Funny enough, it doesn't actually have a name. There's a token that represents it, and it just says a mysterious creature at the top. Which is kind of funny. There's a card in the set that cares about the the, the uh, creatures not having names. It can't be blocked by creatures with no names. It's kind of funny. Ward two on these is nice. Uh, so these are upgraded morphs. Now uh, it kind of makes sense as to why they put cons on arena. They probably wanted to test how the morph stuff worked, right? Yeah, that seems to make sense. I mean, cons has been in the code for a long time, so it didn't take a ton of effort to get it on. But that definitely made it easier for them to bring disguise into the mix for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're playing a deck with a lot of disguise creatures, it means you kind of have free three drops in your deck, but that does mean hitting your third land is more important. And then subsequently hitting your maybe fifth land or so is more important as well. So uh, this would tend to be best in defensive vectors or ones that can create a lot of mana uh, such that they can both hit their three drops reliably and flip them for five or six mana. Yeah, there are a few other things to th keep in mind with with disguise are really the disguised version of cards right they're creatures without subtypes so keep that in mind too i mean there shouldn't be anything that interacts with cr like subtypeless creatures in this in the set but you know you're not if if the thing that you're flipping into is a spirit for example the mysterious creature doesn't have that subtype yet so any lords or anything like that won't affect the disguised version as well as um yeah, Ben mentioned they don't have technically have a name. They also don't technically have a mana value while they're disguised. You pay an alternate cost to flip them, but the disguised creature itself doesn't have a mana value. So things that affect, say, cards with mana value zero or whatever, then they would affect those. But um, until it's flipped, the creature has no mana value. It's or really has a mana value of zero. Something else to note, uh, you are casting these. It's not like an ability. So a counterspell would still work against you trying Correct. to play a disguised thing. Uh, also, flipping something over, similar to unmorphing something, doesn't actually use the stack. So it can't right. be responded to. It just instantly flips over to the, to the other side. 
These follow something similar to the cons of Tarakir rule, where anything with a disguise cost of under five mana values worth uh, can't eat a 2-2 in combat. So you, you know you're safe up until your opponent's got their six land in play. Then it's it's fair game for anything. Yeah, and just to clarify, just for the listener, right, that's not like a rule. There's nothing in the disguise like rules text that says that's the case. It's just how they design the set. There aren't any that have a high enough power to eat those. Yeah. Uh, did I say under six? Under five mana value. Under five flipping. mana value. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Once you um, hit that fifth land, I think I might have said six. Once you hit the fifth land, um, then it could really flip into anything. You flick it into like a six, seven or something. So keep an eye out for that and know that uh, up until that point, you are safe to trade off your two, two in combat. If they have like four mana up and they flip it, it's going to trade with the two, two. That's guaranteed. Now, similar to this guy's is cloak. Uh, cloak is sort of like um, manifest back from, uh, from from the cons block. So uh, cloak says to cloak a card, put it onto the battlefield face down as a two two creature with ward two. Turn it face up at any time for its mana cost if it's a creature card. So if you hit a land or an instant or a sorcery or something, well, if you hit a land in the late game, you're probably pretty thankful because you got a creature out of a land off the top of your deck. But if it's a creature, you can flip it up at any time for its cost. Uh, and then if it has an ability that said, like, when this creature is turned face up, that will still trigger. Uh, but if it has an ETB and you turn it face up, that will not. Yeah, so this is very similar if you did play, mm, not cons, but Fate Reforged. There is a mechanic in Fate Reforged called Manifest, which let you essentially do what Morph does, but for cards that didn't actually have the Morph text on it. So you could manifest a sorcery, for example. Um, you'd never flip them, but you could flip, like, creatures if you happen to manifest a creature so cloak is kind of the markov man or dang the karlov manor uh equivalent to manifest right, what are we gonna uh, count three for murders so. at markov manor <laughs> let's see how high we can get it uh investigate is in the set which is awesome uh you make clues when you investigate so a, a card says investigate make a clue which is a colorless artifact token that says two uh sacrifice this artifact to draw a card you don't have to tap it which is kind of nice uh clues are a great one of my all-time favorite mechanics and i'm looking forward to cracking some clues in this set just as i was in all the innistrad sets yeah they're fantastic suspect is a new one so it kind of makes sense that in like a homicide detective themed set there's going to be some suspects running around so suspect is sort of like a creature designation if a creature is suspected uh it gains menace and it can't block so we've actually seen something similar on uh, on rakdos cards in the past i think it's called unleash uh where uh it either can't block and then gain some kind of benefit so menace is obviously pretty beneficial for combat but not being able to block means that creature probably got to be attacking but there's some effects that let you give your own creature suspect or some things that let you suspect opponent's creatures so this is going to play out pretty cool. Um, it is an aggressive mechanic inherently because it'll either make your creature better at attacking or make your opponent's creature better at attacking, but also worse at blocking, but it also makes your creature worse at blocking. So it uh, should be interesting for you know, seeing how this works in races. Uh, but I, I think some well-timed suspicions will uh, end the game. And uh, we've got collect evidence here as well. So when you collect evidence... Man, this is probably my least favorite one in the set. This this is just so many words. To collect evidence, it's a cost. Sometimes cards will have uh, an additional cost of collecting evidence. Sometimes it's optional. Uh, and it'll say collect evidence and then some number. 
And in order to collect evidence for, for example, uh, you would need to exile cards from your graveyard with total mana value four or greater. So obviously you can enable this by dumping a bunch of stuff in your graveyard. And interestingly, you kind of want to dump stuff with high mana value into your graveyard. For example, to collect evidence four, you can exile a single four drop from your graveyard. Now, these numbers look kind of high. Collect evidence four, six, eight on some of these cards. I don't actually think that's going to be that difficult to meet. But it will naturally tend to happen towards the mid to late game. That's when uh, collecting evidence would get easier. Unless you have ways to jump cards in the graveyard early, like a cheap creature that surveils or self-mills or something like that. Yeah, I think from a textual perspective, this one is the most annoying. But I think in terms of gameplay, it may be one of the more interesting because this will impact the way you build your deck. If you're trying to collect evidence a lot, um, you know, maybe you skew your your mana curve a little bit to make it easier. You may be picking up more cards that want to dump your own cards into the graveyard, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are cards that will force your opponent to collect evidence. And there are creatures with ward that do this, uh, but there are sorceries or instants that will say like, you know, as you cast this, collect evidence, whatever. And if you did do extra stuff, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how it affects deck building, I suppose. Um, and whether you want to be collecting evidence or you want your opponent to be. Last but not least, we have a new enchantment subtype called a case. Eh, I gotta say, I don't love the templating or formatting on these either, but hey, they, they kind of remind me of sagas. Uh, except you have a little more control over how these trigger. So when they enter, uh, they're, they're active. The top section is active. Usually they'll have an ETB or some static ability on them. The middle ability is how you solve the case, quote unquote. It'll be some condition that you meet. And uh, the reminder text on it says, if unsolved, solve at the beginning of your end step if you meet the uh, whatever requirement it is. Maybe it's three creatures attacked this turn or four permanents were put in the graveyard this turn or you dealt your opponent four damage this turn or something like that. And then uh, at the bottom, it says what to do if solved. Sometimes there will be a cost down there, something you need to pay to activate an ability that can only be activated while solved. Or sometimes it's a static. Sometimes it'll involve uh, putting this in the graveyard or sacrificing it or animating it into a creature. They got pretty creative with these, um, and they're all pretty unique. Notably, I believe there is a case vector uh, within the draft environment and, and some five-color enablers that sort of build towards a case deck. That being said, they're kind of at higher rarity. A lot of the payoffs are, are rare and uncommon, so uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't cross your fingers about playing this in draft. All right, so with that, why don't we just jump right into the vectors we have here. We're going to kick it off with blue-white, which we're dubbing Sleuthing Around. And actually, this set, we have something not so unique anymore, but we have two signposts per vector. And so that's, that's two multicolored cards per vector. Technically three if you want to count the split cards, but we're not. So uh, we'll give you both of those, and then we're going to go through and give a couple of cards that seem to point or at least help that vector do what it wants to do. So, kicking it off here with blue-white sleuthing around, our first card is Private Eye. This is one white-blue for a homunculus detective at Uncommon. Of course, all of these signposts are Uncommon. It's a 3-3, three, three, and it says other detectives you control get plus one, plus one, so it's a detective lord. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, target detective can't be blocked this turn. So an interesting kind of mix between drawing your second card which we've seen before that used to be i think a black white was that caldheim black white caldheim cared about drawing your second card 
Yeah, and uh, Black Red cared about it in Brothers War. Right, right. So, right. yeah, we've seen this a couple of times. This time, it makes your detective sneak in, which is kind of clever in, from a design perspective. Um, and this creature's also buffing all your detectives, so pretty clear. Blue White wants to be putting detective creatures on the board, and you want to be drawing cards. Sounds good to me. Getting in free damage for drawing cards, not something I'm going to shy away from. Pretty easy to do this just by cracking a clue, right? A lot of detectives right. ETB to make a clue or deal damage and make a clue. Also, thinking back, it was blue-black that had that draw two vector. So bit of a bit of a change here. Yeah, and then our second signpost is no more lies. This is blue-white for an instant. Counter-target spell, unless its controller pays three generic mana. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. They did it. They power shifted mana leak. <laughs> they did it. They power shifted mana. I, you're much more happy about this one than I am. This is this is a gross card. It's going to make Pioneer unplayable. Whatever. <laughs> Spine <laughs> limited. Yeah. So interesting though that this doesn't really seem to connect with Private Eye in terms of a vector. No. Right? Private Eye wants creatures on the board. It wants them getting in the red zone. It wants you drawing cards. Normalize does none of those things. And often this kind of spell will be used in these decks if you're going to play a copy to prevent your opponent from landing some big bomb that your creatures are too small to deal with. The fact that the private eye makes your creatures unblockable, you kind of don't care in a lot of situations when you're racing your opponent and they play a big creature. So this is a little strange. I don't see many private eye decks playing No More Lies. Yeah, I mean... It's good value. I mean, if you have this up on turn two, you get to counter their their disguised creature. But these do get worse, these mana leak effects, because a lot of the big plays your opponent's going to be making is flipping their disguised creature over, which this can't actually interact with at all. Imagine they they spend their whole turn paying six, unmorphing their thing, and you're like, well, why did I just pass with all this mana up and no more lies in hand? I, I can't do anything about this massive creature that's beating me down now. Yeah, the other thing too is, I mean, sure, you could counter the morph or the, the disguise creature as you're disguising it. Mm -hmm. Or like, not when you're activating the ability, but when you're casting it. Um, but this is also now two-colored. The power in Mana League was that it's a one-colored card, so you pretty much always could cast it on turn two to get value. Yeah, You're not always going to be able to do that with No More Lies. So, again, a lot more to kind of deal with here. I think if I'm in blue-white, I'm almost always going to take whatever two-drop ETBs to make a clue over No More Lies. Mm -hmm. So let's check out a couple of cards that may support this vector. First up is Market Watch Phantom. This is one in a blue, sorry, one in a white for Spirit Detective at common. It's a 2-2. Two -two. It says, whenever another creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control, Market Watch Phantom gains flying until end of turn. Now, we'll come back to that power two or less thing later. That's not exactly what this vector is looking to do. But I think here we're trying to highlight it's a two mana two two. It's a detective. It gains a reasonable thing. So this one in particular, um, even your like, even if you can't give them blocking, you don't have the private eye. You're still going to be able to get this thing in. Um, and all of your detectives are going to kind of buff each other overall in this vector. It seems. Yeah, I can't imagine a world where playing this on turn two doesn't make your opponent kind of start freaking out and ask, "Oh, how am I going to kill that two drop?" Uh, I think Candlegrove Witch um, for, from the, the most recent Innistrad block where uh, that one gained flying based on Coven. And that, that actually took a couple turns to set up. Sometimes you needed the one drop or sometimes it would wait until turn four before Coven was active. 
Uh, and then getting smacked for two every turn uh, was it Flutter Fox, I think, from from old Eldrain was similar. Uh, this I read basically as a two mana two two flying, which is obviously a very strong card. A, a deck built around this and a lot of cheap detectives, it, it's going to be very easy for this to just get in for a million damage. And it does seem like Blue White wants to be a bit evasive here. Notably, the signpost uncommon gives that unblockability. So Market Watch Phantom seems to slide in pretty well there. Yeah, I think we're going to see Market Watch Phantom play a bigger role in a different deck, but it definitely is going to fit in here as well. And so our next card here is Projector Inspector. Love some alliteration nice. there, rhyming. Um, it's two and a blue for a 3-2 Human Detective at Common. Whenever Projector Inspector or another detective enters the battlefield under your control, and whenever a detective you control is, is turned face up, you may draw a card, and if you do, discard a card. So we've got a nice loot effect here. Notably, this one will work well with disguised detectives, so you can flip them and still get the benefit here from Projector Inspector, which is nice because you don't want to be torn between morphing your creature on curve or disguising your creature on curve to, like, there's a tension there a lot of times where you don't want to do the thing because, well, you want to get the benefit from this creature later on. And here you don't have to make that choice, so that's great. Next up, we've got our blue-black vector, Grave Discovery. Uh, our, our signpost first is Curious Cadaver. Two blue-black for a 3-1 flying. It's a zombie detective. Funny. Uh, and it says, whenever you sacrifice a clue, return Curious Cadaver from your graveyard to your hand. Now, this seems to point along the clue vector and maybe some self-mill, because if you can mill this into your own graveyard and then crack a clue, this just comes back to your hand. Obviously great. Uh, but I'm more interested in Coerce to Kill. Three blue-black, it's an aura. Uh, kind of weird we get a signpost aura in enchantment. And it says, you control enchanted creature. Enchanted creature has base power and toughness 1-1, one, one, has death touch, and is an assassin in addition to its other types. That's an uncommon control magic. It is. Now, it's weird, right? It, like, changes the creature altogether but what it doesn't mm -hmm. do is remove all of its abilities these effects usually will say enchanted creatures base power toughness one one and loses all abilities or some variation of that this doesn't have that it does change the the base power and toughness it gives it death touch and makes it an assassin but it keeps all of its other abilities so this is the kind of card you may want to play on something that's like more or less sitting on the board recurring value through its own abilities rather than mm -hmm. a big beefy like six six or something now, something I'm interested in in this blue-black vector, blue and black obviously are very good at dumping cards in the graveyard, and in this set, the collecting evidence uh, does point along the blue-black vector. Coerced to Kill, to me, reads as an aura that's naturally going to go to the graveyard because of the way games play out. So let's say you grab their 4-4 or something just because you need a target for this. You're going to trade off that 4-4, which is now a 1-1 death touch, basically as soon as possible right yeah I mean, if they attack with literally anything you're probably like okay snap off the block i get my value out of course the kill basically a two for one and then you have this five mana thing that goes to the graveyard very naturally uh for you then to collect evidence away so i, I right. see this one being pretty interesting whereas curious cadaver this is something that you want to put in the graveyard but you actually don't want to dis uh, uh, dis uh collect evidence to get rid of it <laughs> Right, yeah, that's a bit of a non-bow. And also, it's a 3-1 flyer, so you kind of don't want it to go to the graveyard because it's going to chip in for damage more often than not. So a little bit awkward there, too. It feels like these two signposts are generally pointing in different vectors so far mm -hmm. with both of the vectors we've looked at. This, to me, 
indicates that blue black was maybe one of the last archetypes figured out by wizards while making the set sometimes you can tell when there's one that was just kind of left by the wayside and they figured out what the other decks around it were, were doing what their other vectors were first and then they sort of like oh what happens when we put blue and black together well obviously graveyard uh, obviously you'll dump stuff in the graveyard obviously collect evidence because that's sort of like a graveyard based mechanic but there's sort of waffle here now talking about some actual creatures uh, i do think collecting evidence is one of the strongest things blue and black can do here so something that the collect evidence decks might want to do is look at disguise creatures that have high mana values. What that really allows you to do here is build to the board early with a disguise creature and then trade it off and then get a high mana value card in your graveyard for you to collect evidence with early in the game. So take something like Basilica Stalker, right? Five and a black, three, four flying. Not a very good rate at all, right? Like when would no. you ever do this? Yeah, but pretty much never. Uh, it says, when it, dis uh, when it deals combat damage to a player, you gain one life and surveil one. That's a pretty solid little ability. Uh, it has disguise for four and a black. So how this reads to me is a blue-black deck might play this out on turn three. If your green-red opponent plays a, uh, a disguised creature of their own, you just trade. You, you don't really care that much about trading off this thing. You're not going to flip it for a couple turns anyway. Even if you do, it's not the best body. Uh, it's almost like the inherent value of this card is in the fact that it has mana value of six, but you didn't have to pay it, and it just goes with the graveyard. Right. Because then you might have something like a Crime Stopper Sprite. Two and a blue, it's a 2-2 two, two Fairy Detective at Common. Uh, as an additional cost to cast a spell, you may collect Evidence 6. Oh, look, that's kind of convenient. The Basilica Stalker costs 6. And Collect Evidence 6 is usually a very high price to pay, but not if you manage to put a 6 drop in the graveyard early. So it says when an ETBs tap target creature, if evidence was collected, put a stun counter on it. So a flying frost links. Very strong card if you can actually make it work. Otherwise, it just taps down the creature and it's a three mana two two flying. So I I'm seeing that blue black, this vector wants to put high mana value cards into the graveyard early and then collect evidence them away. All right, on to red black prime suspect. We're gonna start off here with Rune Brand Juggler. This is black red for a human shaman. Uh, at Uncommon, of course. It's a 2-2. And when Runebrand Juggler enters the battlefield, suspect up to one target creature you control. Again, a suspected creature has menace and can't block. And for three black-red and sacking a suspected creature, target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. Wow. Hmm. So when you cast this, how often will you have another thing in play that you could suspect? I mean, if this is your two-drop, it it's just going to suspect itself. itself. Yeah. If it suspects itself, then obviously you don't want to be spending five to. Well, maybe you do. You can trade your two, two for their five, five, which is that's still quite good. Yeah. I think a lot of times when we see menace and stuff on uh, small creatures, they get outclassed because really any two creatures can effectively block them. This is a nice way to cash this in later. It gives you a mana sink. And if you had nothing else on the board on turn two, it still can sack itself. Things don't get unsuspected by suspecting another thing. Mm. They only get unsuspected if you like have a card that says that thing is no longer suspected. So you can have multiple creatures that are suspects. And so this could always be that. Um, and that also means that in the future, you have the out of using itself to activate that ability, but you don't ever actually have to if you can suspect other creatures in the future. So that's I'm a really kinda... nice little package. 
yeah, I'm kind of down for just a two two menace camp lock. <laughs> like, right. isn't isn't that just a pretty good card? Especially when people are playing three mana two twos, their disguises. Uh, do you really want to put two disguise creatures that might be really good, and you might want to flip up later? Would you ever double block this with two disguise creatures? I mean, it's just going to trade with one of them, and if they have a trick, they just totally blow you out. So. This is probably going to chip in for a, like six, eight damage before it really gets outclassed on board, especially if this is like a slower set, which I'm hoping it's going to be because the sky is kind of naturally points in that vector direction. Yeah, notably, this is a two, two. So even with menace, yeah, they'll have to throw two of them in front of it, but it trades really easily with disguised creatures because they're also two twos. Um, they also have wards, so like sniping off one of them with this ability is probably not where you want to be. Yeah. But at the end of the day, yeah, two mana, two two menace can't block is pretty sneaky. Like those are tough to block against. Yeah, seems good because you're gonna send them in the red zone anyway. So you're basically like the card itself masks any tricks you might have. Speaking of which, our next card here is Deadly Complication. This is one black red for a sorcery. I suppose not a proper trick because it's sorcery speed, but it says choose one or both, destroy target creature, or put a 1-1 counter on target suspected creature you control. You may have it become no longer suspected. So this is one way to remove suspect from a creature, although it is a may, so you don't have to do that. But three mana destroy target creature, I mean, the fact that you can do both too is just nasty. Wait, so this is always three mana, kill something, put a counter on a creature. Oh no! It has Assuming to be on target, you ha- suspected. Okay. Yeah, it ha- you have to have a suspected creature at least to to get both effects. But at minimum, it's a three mana destroy target creature. It's just a murder straight up. I mean, can you imagine curving Runebrand Juggler on turn two into this on turn three? Like, kill their three drop. Now you're three three menace attacks. Like that, yeah, that's, that's really disgusting. good. This this is the first one. It feels like actually works together. Like these two signposts. Mm-hmm. So let's check out a couple of commons here, or what we have one uncommon uh, that work out well with this vector. We have Clandestine Meddler. This is two and a black for a vampire rogue at uncommon. It's a three two. When it enters the battlefield, suspect up to one other target creature you control. So this one can't suspect itself. And whenever one or more suspected creatures you control attacks, surveil one. Okay. Hmm. So this one also probably plays well in black blue. And we're going to see some overlap. I think that that's a good sign, actually, that there is some overlap between these vectors. But um, Surveil is going to let you dump cards in the graveyard, so you could set up some interesting, uh, you know, plays where you know you know you're going to collect evidence in a couple of turns. You can Surveil by getting your suspected creatures into the red zone. Um, yeah, it seems like a solid little three drop. Yeah, it almost seems a little underpowered to me, which. To me, this card is sort of like a clue from the design team. Something about this made it such that it has to be an uncommon. And it's a 3 mana 3-2, which is basically the most unexciting stat line of all time. So this means to me that right now I need to readjust my value. That maybe either suspecting another creature you control is more valuable than I think. Or you're going to have enough suspended creatures that whenever one of them attacks, Surveil 1 is more valuable than I think. Uh... I have a feeling it's going to be suspecting another creature that you control is the actual value part. I mean, th- this could be a common and it wouldn't surprise me right now. So I think that might yeah. be what I'm missing. Yeah, notably the 3-2 stat line also trades, well, not really down because you're even on mana, but it trades with disguised creatures. Mm-hmm. So 
something to keep in mind. And it doesn't suspect itself, so it, it, at base, like at worst, it's a 3-mana three 3-2 three with no other text on it. Our next card is The Chase is On. This is 2 and a red for an instant at common. This is our pretty prototypical red combat trick for the set. Target creature gets plus 3 plus 0 and gains first strike until end of turn. Investigate. So I, I have a theory on this one. I think this is going to play out really well if you can reliably have a suspected creature on board because they can't just keep taking damage from it. I mean, look at the clandestine meddler. If you just attack with the suspected creature and surveil every turn, I mean, you're getting a ton of value off of that by basically scrying to your best cards. Eventually, your opponent will try to double block one of your suspects. So what do you do when you double block? Give the thing first strike in 3-0, right? Like, yeah, perfect. Eat both of their creatures disgusting yeah and get a clue for your efforts seems pretty strong right sure does i don't think you're gonna want this i mean this is again it's a prototypical red combat trick any deck that wants a combat trick or two probably wants this card but it's definitely gonna play the best with with suspects now uh on to red green we've got disguise guys here uh our our first signpost is tin street gossip which I always forget that you can use gossip as a noun, like to refer to. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on. It's always a you, you know what I mean? Like a gossip can be a person. Uh, anyway, right. Tin Street gossip two red green for a four four Viachino advisor. It is vigilance four mana four four vigilance. OK, pretty solid, uh, pretty solid stats already. And it has tap to add red green. Spend this mana only to cast face down spells or to turn creatures face up. Pretty okay, sick. Yeah. Pretty straightforward what red green's looking to do. I kind of like that red green isn't big beaters dot deck. Or maybe it will mm-hmm. end up being, but there's at least a little bit more going on with the fact that it wants to have stuff face up, turn face up or cast face down. So um, I like this. It's a four mana, four, four vigilance, which is a little awkward for a mana dork. But hey, uh, this is going to let you turn those things face up much faster. I mean, it accelerates that curve pretty well. I mean, if you just look at like, I don't know, let's say you play something big, like a, I don't know, disguise seven creature. And you play that on three at disguised curve into this. And then on turn five, you're flipping your disguise seven. Like that's pretty, that's pretty good. And you know, there is actually a disguise seven that puts a plus one, plus one counter on each thing you control when it's turned face up. Uh, There you have it. Anyway, yeah, what I do like about this is that it follows the red-green vector of turning big things face up. So we'll actually see white-green in a bit wants to turn up many small things, uh, but, but green-red cares about flipping one big thing. Something I like about this one, you can attack with it, and then because it's got vigilance, you can tap it to flip something mm-hmm. face up mid-combat. Pretty gross mm-hmm. if, if that's how it works out. Uh, our other uncommon signpost here is... A lot of words. It's a short novel. I guess they, they wanted to have some crime novels involved in, in this one. Uh, Breakout. It costs red-green. It's a sorcery uncommon. And it says, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them. If that card has mana value two or less, you may put it onto the battlefield, and it gains haste until end of turn. If you didn't put the revealed card onto the battlefield this way, put it in your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. That's, wow, that's an awful lot. lot of words to say you put a two drop into play, but it can miss is, is the benefit of maybe giving a two drop in your top six cards haste enough for the chance that it misses. Well, I don't it also think so. just draws you a card, doesn't it? 
Yes, it, it does always draw you a creature card. It draws you a creature if you have a creature in your top six. And, and red-green, you probably will, right? If you have... I don't know. I'll let Frank Carson run the math on on this. Someone that uh, they can make a nice data table for all the different percentages. But if you have the the significant number of two drops needed for this, I guess it'd be pretty good. Like it makes your two two have haste. But like, wouldn't you? Well, wouldn't you just you rather care? play a two drop. My question is like, do you actually care about grabbing something with mana value two or less, or do you just want to be paying two mana to draw a creature? I don't know. Like, do you it actually kind of care spinning. about the two mana value thing? Hmm. I, I don't know. This this doesn't feel like a card designed for limited. This feels like some sort of weird, like modern combo card. I don't know. Yeah. You could use this to set up like a like a like a vizier hapatra, some sort of undying. I, I don't know. Let the modern players yeah. break this one. Uh, I don't think it's along the vector at all for this deck. Um, th- this deck clearly wants to be flipping things up. And this doesn't put like uh, disguise creatures into play or anything, so I, I don't think this is what this deck is trying to do. I would not recommend playing this if you're if you're very deep along this vector. And who knows? Maybe it'll be good, but um, doesn't seem to align with what this deck is trying to do. Yeah, the the only thing you could really do with this that like feels kind of along the lines of what this vector wants to do is like if you happen to have a tin tree gossip, you can play breakout, put any creature into your hand that has disguise. And then cast it face down for one mana. Functionally. So I guess that's fun. (laughs) You spent three mana to find a two, two anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm calling this one's not going to be great. Now, speaking of things that are not great as good vector theorists, it's our responsibility to inform you when they are trying to trick you. And sometimes they will put cards in sets that do follow along a certain vector, you can clearly tell what they're trying to do, but the cards themselves are bad, and I think I've spotted one and exposed the culprit. I'm exposing Watsi as the culprit here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's one in a red for an instant at uncommon. It says choose one or both. Turn target face down creature face up, or uh, exile any number of face up creatures you control with disguise in a face down pile Shuffle that pile, then cloak them. Oh, weird. Uh, yeah, th- this, is, um, this is an instant. So l- let's address some use cases for this. The maybe most useful thing I see here is that this is kind of like a red counterspell. I would play this card if in game two, uh, I-, I remember in game one, my opponent had like three good instant speed removal spells. And I was playing like a big red green deck. And, you know, I put a lot of mana into my creatures. I don't want them getting killed. So maybe what I do is I use this to flicker one of my cre- uh, creatures, functionally saving it from removal. But it does put it back face down, which is a bit of a tempo loss. So uh, I don't know. That, that seems iffy at best. The real issue is the first mode. I think this specifically is a total trap. Turning a target face down creature face up. This is essentially a card that says add X amount of mana, where X is that creature's disguise cost. Now, yeah, you could you could really get someone with this, but this is such a highly situational card. It's almost like a ritual. It's like two uh, instant speed, add three in a green or, or add four red green or whatever the creature's disguise cost is. I think this is way too situational. And the fact that, and that there'll be so many instances where you have this in hand and you have no disguised creatures 
I guess you could use yeah. the second mode. I, I don't know. I do not like this card. I think it's a trap. The ironic part too, and Ben, call me out here if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is how this would work, right? If you pay two mana, cast this thing at any time, you choose both. What happens is you turn a face down creature face up, and then it immediately gets exiled and put face down again. <laughs> yeah, that is the order in which they resolve. <laughs> so you could show your opponent <laughs> one of your <laughs> and presumably get some kind of effect for turning the thing face up. But yeah, you could use weird. it, and then and then you're like, hmm. what's what's the point? Like your opponent knows what you put face down, so you're like randomizing them, I guess. So you're like, haha, guess which one you're blo- I'm blocking with, you know? And maybe but, you get to get your opponent, but like, no. Stop. But like, not every creature in your deck is going to have disguise. Like, be realistic. Why what is if this only an half of them have it? I think it's an uncommon because it's so situational. Having they just don't common, want people seeing them a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this is because they don't want a lot of people to have these. Um, you could use it as a red fog if you have all yeah. disguise creatures. They're all face up, and then you need to block with them all. And all of your opponent's stuff is bigger, and you don't want any of your stuff to die. So you could flicker all your stuff, have it come back face down. We're building cases. I mean, this is what vector theory this is, right? Yeah, we're figuring out when, when is this card is at its best. At its best, exactly. And I think the the cases at which this is at its best are so stupid that <laughs> yeah, we should just not play this. Yeah, I'm with you. I need to see this one work. Show it. Show me. Show me, listener. If this if this card works, let me see it. But I expose don't us it. as the culprits, maybe. But um, nah, I'm I'm calling sub fifty percent win rate on seventeen lands for this one. Uh, a card that I do actually think will be very strong in this deck is, well, we sort of lied. There's actually an additional multicolor signpost at, in each vector, and it's a common. So some of them are a little underpowered. I mean, you don't need us to tell you if you have a, a multicolored common and you're playing that deck, it's probably going to be good. But some of these align more closely with the vectors. Uh, so I thought that this one would be good to point out. Rift Burst Hellion. Five red green. It's a six seven with reach at common. It's a Hellion. So that's a. That, that's a pretty beefy creature right there. Seven mana, six, seven reach. But it has disguise for four and then hybrid red, green, hybrid red, green. So uh, you can flip this for either four red, red, four green, green, or four red, green. Uh, this is one to be aware of. This thing flips into a six, seven reach. That's going to yeah. eat basically everything. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, obviously the Tin Street Gossip is very good at flipping this. I mean, it can do it the turn after you play it. So this is a nice curve. Hellion on three, Gossip on four. Flip the Hellion, and you're smacking it for a million. Yeah, I will say anybody that goes Tin Street Gossip, more uh, disguise creature, attack with everything. I'm immediately like, "What well, is that? The Hellion? That's got to be the Hellion." Right, it's gonna be flip it at instant speed, and like, yeah, no, mm, I'm not about that. This is gonna get me more times than I'm gonna be comfortable with. Yeah, and lesson learned from cons. Um, it's always Wooly Loxodon. They always yeah, had they the ha- Wooly Loxodon. Yep, they're always gonna have the Hellion. Assume it's the Hellion and be pleasantly surprised when it's not. So on to white green or green white rather. Flip 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 Adelphia. <laughs> this is what we're calling it's this one. It's always sunny. <laughs> Flip, 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 Adelphia. <laughs> anyway, our first signpost here is Sumala Sentry. This is green-white for a 1-3 Elf Archer with Reach. Whenever a face-down permanent you control is turned face up, put a 1-1 counter on it and a 1-1 counter on Sumala Sentry. Okay. 
yeah, seems pretty sweet. Clearly telling us what Ben mentioned earlier, you want to flip a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So uh, that Hellion, probably not at its best, even though you could put it in this deck and flip yeah. it up for a four green green, then you just get the one counter. But there are things with flip costs for like one, two, three. Those are the ones this deck and this vector want. Yeah. That may be a fine like top end for the deck, though. Yeah. Um, and our second signpost here is buried buried in the garden. This is two green white for another enchantment aura, actually. This one enchants a land, and when buried in the garden enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent you don't control until buried in the garden leaves the battlefield. And whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional one mana of any color. Wow. Super sick. Yeah, that's that feels like a pushed O-ring. Yeah, uh, and the fact that this <laughs> well, it does tap for mana of any color. Green does have a few ways to add mana of any color or search out basics. They're, they're giving us a couple ways to go for five color soup or at least a multicolor pile. And I, I do see this also helping to maybe splash an off-color card. Uh, look, green decks, that's what they do best, right? But, but green, white, I don't know. This obviously isn't along the same vector as Sumala Sentry. This is just a good value inclusion. I can't imagine ever cutting this card from a from a green white deck no so next we have a couple of cards here that fit well with the vector forum familiar first among them this is white for a one one cat at uncommon it has disguise for one and a white and when forum familiar is turned face up return another target permanent you control to its owner's hand and put a one one counter on forum familiar so a lot of these cards in green white are going to be ones that you kind of have to play off curve because you need to pay the three mana to put them like disguise them in the first place. And then you need to pay more mana to flip them face up, but their flip costs usually very cheap. So we're really trying to maximize that flip the card face up part of this. I haven't been a fan of this kind of vector in past attempts at this kind of thing. Hopefully this is a different approach or at least works differently in inside the context of the format. But, I'm skeptical. Yeah, I see Forum Familiar as a way to rebuy a, a disguise ability. So maybe you have yeah. a creature with a really good one. At higher rarities, there's a, there's a Loxodon at red, rare, and white. Uh, and when you turn face up, you just exile one of your opponent's creatures, and they get a 2-2. It's sort of like a, uh, like a Banisher Priest effect, which can just, you know, just <laughs> snipe something. So uh, I see this as a way to rebuy other cheap flip abilities. And it's, it's a card that you don't really care about too much. The main value in this is being able to turn it up for cheap and then save something from a removal spell or maybe set up some funny blocks. Uh, also, look at that cat. It's just going to town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not a care in the world. And so next up, we have Nervous Gardener. This is one to green for a 2-2 Dryad at common. It has Disguise for green. And when Nervous Gardeners turn face up, search your library for a basic land. Sorry, search your library for a land card with a basic land type. Wow, I hate that they did that. Reveal it, put it in your hand, <laughs> then shuffle. That got me. Yeah, I mean, the rare land cycle in the set does have the basic land yeah. type, even though they're not basic. So I guess they want to be able to go get those. Are they setting up green white to be like a multicolor deck? Seems like it. This does feel, at least, maybe it's not sub, quote unquote supposed to be, but it certainly seems to have the most tools to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is interesting. If there is a soup pile, it, it could be green-white. I mean, we see this in the Uncommon and in the Nervous Gardener, which I think would be a really important card for that deck. Plus, this just draws you a land, flips up for cheap. Seems to work well with the uh, the other signpost on Colin the Warden. So 
Yeah, seems nice. Now, uh, th- this is a vector that I'm pretty excited for. I've realized recently that I'm, I think I'm starting to identify more as an Orzhov mage than anything else. Uh, I looked down and all of a sudden I noticed that all my constructed decks were Orzhov, modern, standard. What's happening to me? Hmm. Uh, maybe I, I don't actually have an Orzhov commander deck. Maybe it's finally time to make one of those. Anyway, uh, this one is called Too Powerful. Now, this vector is pretty obvious. It wants you to play stuff with power two uh, or, or less. So Wisp Drinker Vampire is our first one up here. Two white black for a 2-4 flying. It's a vampire rogue. And it says whenever another creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Oh, man. Those of us that remember black-white allies back uh, in in Zendikar, uh, this type of card just really be a pain for your opponent to deal with because this is just going to... First of all, stabilize the air immediately. A 2-4 flyer, that's, that's beefy right there. And then if you're able to put some other stuff in play, uh, this will just create such a huge life total cushion. Uh, and that being said, there's also cards that ETB to make multiple two-power creatures in this set. So uh, also, I haven't even finished reading the card. It also has an activated ability. Five white black. Creatures you control with power two or less gain death touch and lifelink until end of turn. Yeah, that's a way to make your uh, your little one ones all of a sudden regain a bunch of board presence when they all become death touchers. Yeah, yeah, that, this is super sick. And you can do it at instant speed too. I mean, it's seven mana, but it functionally stops your opponent from blocking. I mean, threat of activation here is real. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they don't block, you can still just activate it and maybe gain a bunch of life. Cool. Yeah. Now, uh, following a bit of a theme here, the next one doesn't seem to align very well with the vector. It's called Soul Search. It, uh, it costs white-black. It's a sorcery at Uncommon. And it says, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it, exile that card. If the card's mana value is one or less, create a 1-1 one, one white and black spirit creature token with flying. So sometimes, I guess, you just won't have that option i mean i could see having opponent reveal their hand and they just have like a two drop a four drop and a five drop and then you one for one you exile yeah I mean, yeah that, that, that's fine yeah i mean thoughtsies like effects are typically not amazing and limited but they're also not always terrible this one seems fine i mean it lets you get any non-land the trouble is you kind of want that like if like the mana value one or less thing to work for lands and you can't hit lands with this yes you have to hit exactly a one drop or a zero drop to get that one one flyer which how often is that actually going to happen in limited almost never i mean how many of those do people run in their decks three four at max and often it's not even that like you may be lucky to get one or two yeah and then you've spent the two mana already so i guess they didn't play their one drop on turn one maybe they have the cat and they're playing it on turn three instead this is a strange card i think again this is more of a constructed plant than anything i i don't think this is very good (laughs) yeah but you want to hear a card that is very good we've learned our lesson about one drops recently and this one is just stupid snarling gorehound black one one it's a dog at common it has menace and it says whenever another creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control surveil one this is just going to be like the best black common right (laughs) yeah that's a pushed one drop what the heck yeah more text on a one drop than i've i think i've ever seen 
I, I honestly would believe just one one mana, one one menace being solid, especially because this vector does already care about creatures with with power two or less. Uh, but having everything. I mean, for those that aren't super familiar with Surveil, you are looking at the top card of your library. You may put it in the graveyard. This is a strictly better scry, especially in a set where you have collect evidence. And black has the ability to collect evidence. So this deck might wind up with a couple of collect evidence cards, even though it's not the primary vector. But I mean, if you just play this on turn one, your opponent is probably frantically figuring out how soon they can start blocking it. And uh, even if you just let this thing sit on your battlefield, it's still accruing you value by functionally scrying every turn, but it's better than scrying. I mean, this is so strong, right? Yeah, this feels really good. <laughs> and if you put an equipment on this, like game over, right? Yeah, I mean, it gets outclassed pretty quickly in terms of the menace thing. But at some point, this just stops. attack. Like, you're not really attacking with this pass, maybe turn two or three. But then it just sits and collects surveil value. So <laughs> that's mm-hmm. fine, too. And then you could eventually give it death touch with your wisp drink or whatever. Right. Next up is neighborhood guardian. One of the white, it's a two, two, it's a unicorn at uncommon. And it reads whenever another creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control, target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. What's the weakest part about creatures with power two or less? The fact that their power is <laughs> two, two or less, right? This solves that problem very quickly. Uh, I mean, this thing, Seems like a natural follow-up to the snarling gorehounds. You play the gorehound, you play this, and how do you not win a couple turns later, right? You just beat in for a million, uh, especially if you can curve out effectively. There's a, a three-mana one-one that ETBs to make a two-two. I think we'll see it later. Uh, that just obviously goes nuts with these two cards. Yeah, it's pretty great. On to black-green. This is earthly evidence. Our first card is insidious roots. Sorry, insidious roots. It's black green for an enchantment. Creatures tokens you control have tap, add one man of any color. Okay, so we're seeing that in black green as well. But only for tokens, so that's interesting. Something to keep an eye on. And whenever one or more creature cards leave your graveyard, create a zero one green plant creature token, then put a plus one plus one counter on each plant you control. So this is a nice recurring value for collecting evidence, perhaps. Um I don't think we have any other ways to remove cards from our graveyard in the set besides collecting evidence. Yeah, but, unless there's an effect that says like exile or shuffle, there might be a couple one of the one offs here and there. Yeah, and it seems well, we'll I'm, we'll see. I suppose if if like the green plant thing is a big theme, or if this card is just supposed to kind of be an army in a can or a mana field in a can or something. Um, we'll see. I, this kind of has um, like Avenger of Zendikar vibes. You know, yeah. it kind of feels like it's trying to do that, but two man enchantment, it doesn't affect the board when, it, when you hit it or when you like it, when it hits the battlefield, but it's two mana. So I'm kind of okay with that, especially in a format where a lot of people are going to be basically taking turns one and two off just to play morphs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, any two mana card that gives you Avenger of Zendikar vibes is probably worth paying attention to. Right. Uh, this also doesn't care where the tokens come from. This does just make right. any tokens tap for mana. So, I don't know, maybe an Obzon multicolored soup pile uh, with tokens and plants and counters. I mean, this this sounds pretty appealing. And this, I think, is the vector signpost for, uh, for Black Green. You want repetitive ways to collect evidence or dump stuff in your graveyard to be collected, right? Collect evidence, there's a bunch of hoops to jump through. You need to get 
mana value cards in your graveyard. And then you need to find ways to get paid off for actually exiling them with your collect evidence cards. So three things have to yeah. happen for this deck to come together. You need the stuff in the graveyard. You need cards with collect evidence and you need insidious roots on the battlefield. If you draw this after you've already collected away a bunch of evidence, this might just do nothing. But if you yeah. land this on turn two, this might just win the game. Yeah, it feels like a very low floor, relatively high ceiling. So not sure how I feel about that. And all the setup does make me nervous with this deck. Now we'll see kind of perhaps this isn't the real signpost. I agree with you. I think it is. But our next one here is Crawl Whip Cracker. This is also black green, but it's for a 3-2 insect assassin with reach. And when it enters the battlefield, destroy target token and opponent controls. Yeah, so yeah, it only hits tokens, which is a little awkward. And it's a two-mana 3-2, which means it trades with disguised creatures. Hmm. for like i guess you're going up them you're trading your two drop for their functional three drop yeah it's pretty good still fine and yeah it's gonna flip and do better things later if they decide to block that way but um i think mostly the blue white decks are gonna be annoyed by this card yeah blue white has ways to make detective tokens um if this thing etbs to kill a 2-2 that they've actually spent time and effort making that's good or if you can catch your opponent tapped out and snipe a clue, that's pretty nice. But that won't. I mean, obviously, you don't want to target a clue if they have the two game, mana. Really. Yeah, right. So next up, we have Fester Leech. This is one just black for a one-one zombie leech at uncommon. When Fester Leech and, uh, deals combat damage to a player, you mill two cards. That's not a may. You just mill, and then you can pay one black for a Fester. And Fester Leech gets plus two plus two until end of turn but you can only activate it once a turn. So, fine. Um, the mill is the important part here, right? You're, it's a one drop that lets you repeatedly put cards in your graveyard. Now it's a 1-1. One, one. And at best, it's a 3-3. Three, three. So not the most menacing, but if you can get a black card that suspects it, then, you know, you're, you've got a little bit more to work with. And getting cards in your graveyard for this vector seems to be very important. I think the play pattern is going to work out well for Fester Leech. I mean, it, it functionally attacks as a 3-3. Three, three. Right. Who wants to put their, I don't know, their actual 3-3 three, three in front of this and just for them to have uh, pay two mana and, and trade off? I think most times you're just going to allow this thing through. Your opponent's right. going to just let you hit with this and then you get to mill two. Seems like a pretty cheap way to repetitively mill two. Uh, funny enough, if you have multiples, this is not the type of thing you want in the graveyard to collect evidence with because it costs so little. Yeah, also um, worth mentioning too that doesn't say you can only activate it at sorcery speed. So there's threat of activation here as well. And that often, like Ben was saying, is going to mean that this just gets in for one and you mill your cards. Next up, we've got Rubble Belt Maverick. This is green for a 1-1 at common. It's a human detective. When it enters the battlefield, it's Surveil 2. And then you can pay 1 Exile Rubble Belt Maverick from your graveyard. Put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on target creature. Activate only as a sorcery. So here's an example of a card that does let you exile from your graveyard without collecting evidence. Yeah, uh, this is an awful lot of stuff for a 1-1. It's a detective. It surveils on ETB. It has value for being in the graveyard. Uh, the counter is, is pretty relevant. And it does, as you mentioned, exile itself. So uh, I see this as ticking a whole lot of boxes. 
And this is sort of like a nice little complimentary pair to Faster Leech. I feel like a black green deck that plays either of these on turn one is pretty reliably going to be able to get some junk into the graveyard to hopefully uh, get out of the graveyard at some point uh, and, and trigger this, uh, this, this weird insidious roots card, which, by the way, has some really sick art. Yeah, well, I'm a big fan. Next up, we have yet another blue-green mechanic. Let's see if this one works. Uh, Evidence Examiner is our, our green-blue signpost. It's a Merfolk detective. It's a 2-2. And it says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may collect evidence 4. And it says, whenever you collect evidence, investigate. So, if you have nothing in your graveyard, this is a 2-mana two 2-2 two, two that's hard to cast. Cool. Yeah, not great. Uh, <laughs> another whiff for blue-green. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not... Super hopeful, given Blue-Green's track record in the past, what, four, five sets, whatever it was. Um, this one, again, kind of feels like a bit of an afterthought. Uh, collecting evidence and also making clues. I get it. Green can put stuff in the graveyard. Blue can make clues. Makes sense. Uh, and this is a way to repeatedly collect evidence, and there are clearly green cards that care about that. But I'm not super hopeful that this is so much set up. Like, you have to collect evidence for, and when you do, you, you make a token, which then you have to pay to crack. I don't know. If the format yeah. is too slow, this thing just does nothing functionally. Yeah, I mean, how many turns? Also, it's one of those things that, like, your opponent can kind of see, so they can make trades as effectively as possible to just, like, bounce creatures rather than trade. And so, like, even when you're attacking or blocking, like, they may not give you the opportunity to, like, put stuff in your graveyard. And so then that's, like, an even bigger step that you're like, okay, I need to, like, I mean, stuff will enter the graveyard. It's limited, right? But it's telegraphed, so you can, your opponents can play around it a little bit. I do mm -hmm. like that you don't have to attack with this or anything for the triggered ability. Like, it's just at the beginning of your com of, of combat. Um which I guess is a plus, but yeah, yeah, this feels like a lot of setup for very little actual value. I mean, sure. You get a, you get a clue. It lets you draw a card after like doing a ton of extra work. Like I'd rather just play a card draw spell. Yeah. I mean, we have kind of also learned from recent limited sets that, you need to evaluate cards as though the format's going to be very aggressive, right? We've learned our lesson. I mean, we've looked at the one drops. We've seen what they can do. Look at black-white, right? A one-mana, one-one menace, maybe backed up by a handful of pump spells, combat tricks, and other cheap, aggressive threats. And then blue-green's trying to do this. Like, I'd it rather be playing the black-white deck. Yeah. yeah. And, and in a, like a late-game slog, like maybe this vector versus green-white or green-black, I could see this actually procking a bunch of times and you get a bunch of clues and you have time to sack them. But if your opponent is on red, white or black, white, isn't this exactly what they want to see? <laughs> like a, a two mana two, two that functionally does nothing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm curious, like it probably is too much, but like what I wonder if they ever, if they had tried in play testing, making this something like at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may collect evidence six. And whenever you collect evidence, you draw a card. Hmm. Yeah. Because I think that would be a lot more enticing to me. If, like, collect evidence six is probably, like, quite significantly more difficult to do than collect evidence four. Yeah. At least re repeatedly. 
but having to then take the extra step of paying two to get the card back, uh, I don't know. It feels like a lot. Repulsive Mutation is the next card here. It kind of follows the trend of being more of a constructed plant than anything else, but this one actually looks like a pretty solid limited card. It's X green blue for an instant. It says put X plus one plus one counters on target creature you control, then counter up to one target spell unless its controller pays mana equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. Hmm. So this is also kind of like a mana leak, right? I mean, probably not that effective on turn two, because turn two, unless you played a one drop, it's not actually going to make them pay anything extra. It'd be pay zero extra with no creatures in play. And I guess if you have no creatures in play, this just does stone cold nothing. It does nothing at all, yeah. But if you have a 3-3 in play, and you cast this for X equals two, then you get a 5-5, five, five, and it counters the spell unless they pay five. And this isn't non-creature or anything. This could be anything. This is a pretty strong counter spell, but you need to have a creature on board for this to work. So it's a little situational, but when it works, it's going to be really strong. Yeah, you also don't need to have a card on the stack to use this, because you can just put the counters on the creature and not oh, yeah. counter anything at all. This feels like a really weirdly designed bite spell. Hmm. And I kind of like it, but... It's a lot yeah. of setup, too. Huh. I, I didn't realize that this is just X green blue put X counters on a creature. So, like, that's a pretty good fail case if your opponent is, like, drawing dead and, and you just need to buff something and yeah. win the game. I mean, sometimes you'll just tap out, put five counters on something, and then the game ends. Yeah, this I mean, that's, that's the worst this card gets is that, like, you don't actually get to counter anything with it. You just put the counters on the creature, which is mm -hmm. fine. It makes it a card, right? It's not, like, a dud totally. Yeah. Um, but like three mana put a one one counter on something is not good. Like you, <laughs> you don't want to be yeah. there. So here's another one of those common signposts that I think kind of matches what this deck is trying to do. Undercover Crocodile, which, as Circuit pointed out on Twitter, should have just been called Investigator. And I, I really yeah. can't imagine why they didn't do that. I mean, its type is a, an elf crocodile detective. That's obviously the joke that it's an investigator. Maybe it's too on the nose, but uh, it is a four green, blue, five, five at common. And it says when it deals combat damage to a player, investigate. So you make a clue. But it also has disguise for three and then hybrid blue, green, hybrid blue, green. So for five total. So uh, sort of similar to blue, black. I see this as a creature you can play face down early. Trade off if you need to. If it trades off, you have a six mana value target to collect evidence in your graveyard. Or if you manage to let this thing stick around long enough to flip it, you have a way to get clues and presumably use all that extra mana that the card draw that has uh, has netted you in blue. So uh, you've been hitting your land drops. You flip this thing face up. You get a clue. You crack it. And then from there, hopefully you can keep hitting your opponent with this. Uh, Flipping it into a 5-5 five five is pretty nice. This will win a lot of combats if your opponent blocks with a 3-3, three three, a 4-4, four four, hoping that it's one of the smaller creatures. You can flip this face up, and that actually will happen some percentage of the time. Your opponent will just kind of mind game you and think, all right, they probably just have like a 3-3 three three or a 2-2. Two two. I should mention as a side note, for that reason, I think it's much better to play best of three in sets with Morph, uh, similar to how it worked in Cons, because then you get to know what Morphs your opponent has, and you get to start thinking, oh, what could it be? Maybe even keep a list on your phone or something while you're playing. Uh, and then uh, if you're playing best of one, it feels really bad when you just get got by something like this. Whereas in best of three, maybe you learn to play around it in games two and three. 
Yeah, seems pretty sweet. You don't get the like value of the investigation while it's disguised, even if it gets in the red zone. But um, yeah, disguise five. And then also, like you said earlier, Ben, these cards are technically monocolored. You could just put this in a green deck or any blue deck. You don't have mm-hmm. to put B in blue green to play this. So keep that in mind because these look like they are just multicolor cards and they're not really. This next one's pretty cute. We got a Tunnel Tipster, a Mole Scout. It's one of the green for a 1-1 one, one at common. It says, at the beginning of your end step, if a face-down creature enter the battlefield under your control this turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Tunnel Tipster. Seems to go pretty well in, uh, in red-green as well. I think any deck that wants to be playing morphs, disguises, whatever, and flipping them, uh, is interested in the Tipster, because this is just going to grow as the game goes. So pretty uh, high-value mana dork. This also seems pretty strong uh, in, in green-white. Honestly, this is a pretty high pick for any green deck, maybe except for green-black, which seems a little more focused on the graveyard. Uh, but the other decks all seem to care about this sort of thing, uh, playing morphs and having them ETB. All right, on to blue-red. This is artifacts on facts on facts. <laughs> and we're going to start here with Gleaming Geardrake. We've talked about this on the show a few weeks ago, but it's blue-red for an artifact creature, Drake. At uncommon, of course, it's a 1-1 flyer. And when it enters the battlefield, investigate. Then whenever you sack an artifact, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Hmm. So a lot of setup here. I mean, it's a two-mana 1-1 flyer. Not amazing, not really terrible, but then it, it does give you the clue to eventually make it a 2-2 flyer. And if you can do anything more than just make the one clue token this makes, this thing can get out of hand pretty quick. Yeah, this vector, which you will see show up in blue and red, uh, is caring about having sacrificed an artifact this turn. Bit strange. Um, There's a couple commons and uncommons, some removal spells to get cheaper if you've done this. Uh, And there's some good ways to do it itself. Uh, But I I see this as a pretty solid payoff for that. I mean, this is a flyer that's going to grow pretty scarily fast. I mean, there's ways to generate a bunch of clues in this set. Drawing cards and growing your flyer seems like a pretty good way to close out a game. Well, a couple of, uh, well, maybe one or a couple of ways, depending on your perspective, to enable the Gleaming Gear Drake is our next card here, Detective Satchel. This is two blue-red for an artifact. Add on common, of course. It says whenever it enters the battlefield, investigate twice. So on its own right there, get two more clues. And then it has an activated ability of tap. Create a 1-1 colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying. Activate only if you sacrifice an artifact this turn. So functionally, if you did this all in one turn, you could pay six mana to get a one one and a clue. Um, mm, you did draw the card because you sacked the thing. So it's six mana, draw a card, make a one one, draw, uh, get a clue. If you do it all in one turn, but then if you got the gear Drake out, you also are putting a counter on that. And we're using clues as the obvious kind of example here, but these cards do just say sack an artifact. So if you have any other ways to sack, say these colorless thopter tokens that the satchel makes or any other artifact tokens or artifacts of any kind that uh, get onto the battlefield. Keep an eye out for those too, because it's not just clues. So next up is demand answers. This is one in a red for an instant at common as an additional cost to cast a spell, sack an artifact or discard a card, draw two cards. So this is our tormenting voice kind of effect in this set. Nice enabler for the sack and artifact thing. Make your gear drake get bigger, draw more cards, keep the cycle going. Sounds like my kind of, my kind of plan. Yeah, seems like a really strong card draw spell. 
can't be used the way a lot of the black versions of this can to save a creature from being targeted by a removal spell. Mm-hmm. Unless they happen to be targeting an artifact creature of yours, which there's not too many of. But, um, I mean, this is even a good way to crack a clue, right? Yeah. You won't get the extra card, but yeah. Uh, next up is Harry Dronesmith. This is three and a red for a human artificer at Uncommon. It's a 2-3. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a 1-1 one, one colorless stop to artifact creature token with flying. It gains haste until end of turn. Sacrifice it at the beginning of your next end step. So this is interesting. This automatically sacrifices an artifact every turn. But what I like most about this is that it's giving you a free artifact every turn. A good one, too. A 1-1 one, one haster with flying. Uh, and then if you can just sack that to demand answers, you just get a new one next turn. It's almost like free value. It's going to be going away anyway, so you may as well use it to enable all of your sacrifice effects. I mean, this with demand answers is obviously nuts. Yeah, well, this card's probably going to demand an answer out of your opponent, because I think <laughs> in this deck, that card's going to be pretty craziest in terms of enabling the deck to kind of do what it wants to do. Next up, we've got those meddling youths and their dog, too. <laughs> Uh, th- this, I guess, is the Scooby-Doo inspired vector, although I think one of the commander decks had a, like a Scooby-Doo-esque card on it, too. Uh, Meddling Youths is three red-white for a 4-5 human detective with haste. Five mana, 4-5 haste, and whenever you attack with three or more creatures, investigate. So uh, you, you gotta get the gang together, right? You gotta go investigate with all your detective buddies. Uh, sort of a callback to Battalion um, from previous Ravnica sets. You want to attack with three or more creatures, and then you investigate. Seems good. I love my card draw in red-white, so uh, I like it. Yeah, I mean, great top-down design, at least, or flavorfully, it's a, it's a fun design. Five mana, four, five haste is probably going to require some blocks, and um, yeah, I mean, you want to be making stuff, like making your board go wide, get those, get those clues going. Uh, seems pretty solid. Speaking of pretty solid, this next reprint, man, I can't believe they put Lightning Helix in Standard. I don't even know what to say about this card. Uh, It's an instant, it's an uncommon, and it reads, it deals three damage to any target, and you gain three life. So, uh... Four red and a white. Like, just two mana. (laughs) Just two mana. I mean, it's hard to assign a vector to Lightning Helix, because it's so strong, literally any deck that can cast it is getting a significant amount of value from it. I mean, this is a good control card. It's a good aggro card. It's good at racing. It's good at breaking a race. Uh, yeah. It's just so hyper-efficient that if you can cast this, slam it. If you can take it early, slam it. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can just kill your opponent with a bolt <laughs> using this. I kind of feel like there are going to be some like base green-white decks that are just going to get me with this thing and that stupid gardener. Yeah, yeah, Splashing Helix is definitely worth it. Now, how are you getting all three of those creatures to attack? I mean, it takes time to play creatures, or so you think. Uh, Person of Interest says otherwise. Three and a red, it's a 2-2 human rogue at common. It enters the battlefield, suspect it, and create a 2-2 white and blue detective creature token. That is a lot of good value for a four-mana common. Uh, Four power and toughness across two bodies, one of which gains menace the other which is a token so i guess a bit of a downside but um i mean this also would trigger any cards in white that care about having creatures of power two or less enter the battlefield 
Yeah, it's also kind of an interesting flavor card too, because like you know, it enters the battlefield, it becomes a suspect, and it's suddenly a detective is on the case. <laughs> it's cute. Now, uh, similarly, our next card, Inside Source, is two and a white. It's a 1-1 human citizen at common. When it enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 white and blue detective creature token. And this creature has three, tap it. Target detective you control gains plus two plus oh and gains vigilance until end of turn. Activate only as a sorcery. So before we had the person of interest getting tailed by the detective. Now we've got our, our informant who's uh, buffing the detective and, and giving it vigilance. So really, really sweet design here. A lot of power uh, for a three mana card that makes two bodies. And imagine curving inside source into person of interest. That's four bodies across two cards. And then you slam the, uh, the meddling youths and just attack with all and probably win the game, right? Yeah, that sounds like a good way to win games. Especially in a more aggressive set where people are kind of, or rather in a slower format where people are kind of taking their time to get their disguised creatures down and you're just smacking face. These also, like, between either the token or the card itself, like, do well against disguised creatures. Mm, yeah. Now, there's a couple bonus vectors we wanted to discuss. We've already sort of mentioned how there's like an Obzon multicolor pile. But something I noticed is, as we were looking through, uh, cases, which we didn't actually talk about many today. A lot of them are at higher rarities. And a lot of them are sort of vector agnostic. A lot of them are just high value cards you could put in really any deck. But case file auditor is one that I wanted to mention. It's two and a white for a 1-4 detective at uncommon. When it enters the battlefield, and whenever you solve a case, Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal an enchantment card from among them and put it into your hand. Obviously, you're supposed to get a case. And then put the rest on the bottom in any order. Uh, and it says you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast case spells. So they, they gave us a little treat here. They said, all right, three mana, one four. You can set up the defenses and then solve some cases. And if you do, whenever you solve a case, you get to go get another one. And I imagine cases will provide enough value that solving one is probably having a pretty good effect on the board. And then getting another one will let you keep chaining these together. And I mean, this seems really sick. This has got to be a, um, a, a bounty, right? Like solving three cases yeah. in a row with a file auditor on board. Yeah, we'll have some kind of specific bounty by the time this set or the pre-release is out. But definitely, I think there's going to be one around building a, building a solid case, as it were. Um, <laughs> Come on. Boom. the ironic part is that like you don't actually care about collecting evidence here to build said case you just you're just oh, yeah. collecting cases <laughs> just grabbing never, them left and right yeah luckily you are solving them so they're, they're not going cold or anything but yeah. um yeah this isn't this is a solid enabler all around i mean it lets you draw them it lets you cast them it defends the board while you're doing that and kind of dirtling around so this will be i think a high target like if your opponent is playing this card I'd probably be afraid. I don't know all of the cases off the top of my head, so maybe they're not enough to really make me that scared, but uh, I'd probably just want to kill this as soon as I can, because if they start like really collecting value, and it, it gets... It's not just like when you solve a case, because it does let you get the first one for free by the ETB, mm -hmm. assuming you've got enough of them to hit one in your top six. So... yeah. Now, I guess there's going to be that moment where when your opponent plays this, you cross your fingers and, and you say to yourself, yeah. either they get, they're going to whiff and I'm going to win this game very easily, or they hit some mythic rare case and this is going to be one of the most devastating losses I've ever experienced. Yeah. 
Now, speaking of cases, there's Case of the Shattered Pact. It's a generic colorless case, not an artifact, a colorless enchantment. It costs two mana, and it says when it enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. And you might be thinking, well, that seems pretty good for any deck to play. But to solve this case, there must be five colors among permanents you control. So that's kind of interesting. Maybe a, a payoff for playing some of those hybrid mana cards. Uh, and this must be among permanents you control. Obviously, lands don't count towards this. It's got to be among actual permanents. Uh, and then if well, you have five are, permanents... Lands are permanents. They just don't have color. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you control those five permanents of... Uh, or, well, it could be less than five. If you control those five different colors among permanents, at your end step, you solve it. And then it says, solved. At the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gains flying, double strike, and vigilance until end of turn. And that's not just once. That's going to happen at the beginning of combat on your turn for every turn. So that's a pretty big payoff for this, uh, this case five color nonsense, right? Yeah, and it's an enabler too because the initial clause is that you go find a land. So notably, as we talked about with the, the gardener, this one actually does say you get a basic land so you can't find those rare lands that are hmm. like multicolor, have the, the basic land types. Um, that said you're going to want this if you're putting the case deck together. Something else you might want is Topiary Panther. Now, usually they'll make a cycle of basic land cyclers, right? We saw that in the last set. We saw it uh, a couple sets ago in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, but this time, Topiary Panther, four green green for a 6-5 trample. It's a plant cat at common, so basically a colossal dreadmaw. Uh, but it has basic land cycling for one and a green unsurprisingly implying that green is going to kind of be the home color for five color decks but this means that if you have this card you can go get whatever color you're missing whatever color basic you need for your deck green is able to fix that so obviously green will be the base color for any sort of five color wacky nonsense but this means that between this one and uh, the other uh, common disguise creature that flips whatever that thing was called yeah uh, it's the gardener yeah the gardener between these two commons uh you can build a pretty reliable five color mana base so long as you have time to basic land cycle for two and cast a morph and unmorph it. So yeah. uh, maybe there's some decks in this format that don't let you do that because they're beating you down too quick. So uh, if you're trying to build on this case vector, you definitely want to prioritize some cheap removal, cheap blockers, things that hit the board early and can slow your aggressive opponents to the point where your vector can take over in the late game uh, with you know your case file auditors and your mythic cases or whatever. Now, we do have a bunch of lands to kind of cover here. Branch of Vitugazi is the first. It's an uncommon. It taps for colorless mana, and it has Disguise 3. So, yes, this is a land you can disguise. Sure, and when not? Branch of Vitugazi is turned face up, add two mana of any one color. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. What a weird card. Is this good? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's a um, a land that sort of has like an animation ability because if you top deck this land, at least you get to play a two two. Yeah, that's true. Hmm, weird. Scene of the crime is next. It's an artifact land subtype clue. Okay, uh, it's an uncommon. It enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for colorless. It says tap tap an untapped creature you control to add one mana of any color, or pay two. Sacrifice scene of the crime, draw a card. So it is a clue, and I think a tap clue land might just be worth including in some decks 
overall, especially because your mana requirements on the first three turns of the game are a little less than usual, given that a lot of them are just going to be playing, uh, you know, three colorless mana for a 2-2 uh, with Ward 2. So it's not like you need all your colors by turn two like you do in some sets. I think this might actually go in a lot of decks. Yeah, it seems pretty solid. And then it's just got that ancillary, like, meh, I don't really need this anymore. I found my my splashed land or whatever. Let's just mm-hmm. sack it away and draw a card. Next up, we've got Escape Tunnel. This is a common land with no subtypes. It says, tap, sacrifice, Escape Tunnel, search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle, or a different ability, tap, sacrifice, escape tunnel target creature with power two or less can't be blocked this turn so this is kind of an interesting upgrade to something like terramorphic expanse yeah so long e wilds <laughs> yeah yeah it's strictly better e wilds you know sometimes your e wilds just has to be win condition too why not <laughs> and uh lastly here we have public thoroughfare it's a land common it ETBs tapped and it says when it enters the battlefield sacrifice it unless you tap an untapped artifact or land you control Interesting. It always comes in tapped, um, but once it comes in, it has tapped to add one mana of any color. An interesting fixer, and again, an enabler for the five color nonsense decks should they exist. Now, let's run through our top commons real quick. Uh, real quick for our, uh, our LCI ones, we'll run through how well we did last time. Petrify and Ultec Cloud Guard, we got right. They were the top three, but Tinker's Tote was not. It was number four. Now, our predictions for top white commons for this set... Makeshift Binding, it's two and a white for an enchantment. That When it ETBs, it exiles a creature an opponent controls and gains you two life. An O-Ring at common, it's going to be good. We also have Novice Inspector. It's basically just Thraven Inspector. White for a 1-2 human detective when it ETBs, investigate. I have a hard time imagining this not being great. Yeah. And lastly, our inside source, the three mana 1-1 that ETBs to make a 2-2 that we already mentioned. Now our blue commons... (laughs) Yeah. We sort of whiffed on um, River Herald Scout, Oaken Siren, and Song of Stupefaction. We're, uh, we're not the top commons. Uh, better luck next time to us. I, I think we've got some good hits, though. Cold Case Cracker, 3 and a blue, 3-3 three, three, flying, Spirit Detective at common. When it dies, investigate. 4 mana, 3-3 three, three, flyer with good effect. Nice. We've got Dramatic Accusation, 2 and a blue for an aura. When it ETBs, tap down a creature. And the enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Also has activated ability. Blue, blue, shuffle that creature into its owner's library. So if it has a good static, you can get rid of it for good. At least until they redraw it. And our projector inspector, which we already mentioned. The three mana, three, two that cares about detectives ETBing. Now our black commons from last set, we didn't do great on. We got join the dead, even though that ended up being worse than thought. Dead weight and mephitic draft were actually not top three either. But our predictions this time, Slice from the Shadows, a fun common. X black for an instant, it can't be countered, including by the ward ability, as it helpfully reminds you. Target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn. So three mana to kill any, uh, any morph, any uh, disguised creature, as long as they can't flip it up. Or this just scales pretty well with the game. You can usually kill anything you want with this. I'm calling it right now, the, Scarlet, the Snarling Gorehound. That's going to be a top black common, the one mana, one, one menace. And they reprinted Murder in a set with Murder in the name. How could this not be one of the top black commons? Destroy target creature for three mana and black. It's always good. Yeah, it's also one of two because there's the red black one as well. Yeah. Now, our red commons we did pretty well with. Italia's Favor and a Braid were both top red commons. Rumbling Rock Slide was not. 
This time around, we have Galvanize. One in red, it's an instant. Deals three damage to target creature. And if you've drawn two or more cards this turn, such as by cracking a clue, Galvanize deals five damage to that creature instead. A lightning strike with upside if you've cracked a clue. Seems like something you want to do anyway. We have Person of Interest, four mana, two, two. When it ETBs, uh, you make that other two, two, and it suspects itself. Seems nice. Just a lot of value. And this is a welcome reprint. Shock is back. And again, that's a great card. Shock and Lightning Helix in the same set. Oh, this is so sick. And a better Lightning Strike. Mono Red <laughs> yeah. Burn, are we back? Or I suppose a uh, Red White Burns, but yeah. Now our green commons, we, we did okay on. Malamet Brawler, man, that was a miss. That card was garbage. <laughs> Uh, Watley's final strike was actually fourth, so we didn't come off too far with that one. And Poison Dart Frog was indeed one of the top three commons, so not too bad on us. This time, I like the Tuttle Tipster, the two mana one one that we said uh, taps and cares about uh, taps for mana and puts a counter on itself if you played a face down creature this turn. We have Bite Down on Crime. That's a fun one. Three and a green. It's a sorcery. You can uh, collect evidence six as you cast it, and it costs two less if you do. Target creature you control gets 2-0, and then deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control, so a bite spell uh, that can cost 2 mana if you can collect 6. And the Gardener. I'm calling it right now. The 5 color soup decks are going to be good. The Nervous Gardener is going to be the glue that sticks them all together. Wow, that's a format breakdown, and maybe the fastest one we've ever done. <laughs> I think so. All right, on to Fairy Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I know we got to speed run this section because I know you got to go in like literally three minutes. Uh, so it's going pretty well. I'll say I have a new class at school. Uh, it happened because we hit the half mark of the year, which is good in that, um, you know, I get to meet all these new students and uh, I get to teach them the same stuff I teach my other classes anyway. So I'm taking over for a teacher that had to leave part way through the year. Uh, that being said, um, I have a whole new class, which means I have to learn all these students, understand them. Uh, and jumping into a class halfway through the year is never easy. So, plus it's increasing my amount of work by around twenty five percent, which uh, that's going to be a thing. <laughs> nice. How about you? What's up? Yeah, uh, my Teferi is that I've got a lot going on, which is kind of a good thing. Um, so I've got a handful of trips coming up, but then my Tibalt means that means I'm quite busy, and I my work schedule with the new job has been much busier than I'm used to. So, still getting acclimated to the schedule changes there. Um, yeah, very, very busy. All right. Well, that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out the discord if you haven't already. Again, that new bounty board will be up as pre-release launches. So go check that out. We're going to have some fun ones in there this season and you can win some packs if you, if you do well with those achievements, all the rules and any other additional information you need will be in that bounty boards channel. So go ahead and check that out. And you know, Come say hi if you're not interested in the bounty boards anyway. If you'd like to support the show on directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. Again, huge thanks to everybody who supports us there. You guys make the different things like bounty boards and the content we put out possible. So thank you so much for your support. And if you'd like to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at draft pod. Thanks folks. And we'll catch you next week. All right. We have one minute for a sign off. This is perfect amount of time. Apologize for the rush, but you know, we we got time limits. Uh, so, got to shout out Ratafia, one of our very own mods, who's now on the CubeCon team for this year. Going to be organizing the event itself, and 
couldn't have picked a better person to, to help organize an event. Uh, just all around great person to work with. And uh, definitely looking forward to going to KubeCon this year. Hope to see you there, listener. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely be seeing Ratafia there. Uh, come join the Discord, hang out with us, and uh, maybe get some insider info on what's going on at KubeCon this year. 